Welcome to the Music Reel. I'm your host, Nicola Burton. My guest moderator today is acclaimed music artist, producer, artist manager, and the CEO for Thumbs Up, Mr. Buzz Bidstrup. Hi and our, <laughs> Hi, Buzz. And our very special guest today is Mr. Paul Davies, who is the Director of Musicians for the MEAA. Now, this is the Media, Entertainment, Arts, Arts Alliance. This is the largest and most established union and industry advocate for Australia's creative professionals. So, Paul and Buzz, welcome to the Music Reel. Thank, Thank you. Paul, let's start with you. Let's get right into this because <laughs> musicians around the country are fired up right now. And obviously, this is following that release of the $250 million arts package announced by the Minister for the Arts, Paul Fletcher. He's getting yeah. a spanking out there in social media and people are really angry. So let's talk about what this package actually means for arts and entertainment workers in Australia. Uh, well, thanks. Uh, it's hard to tell is the first thing I have to say. Um, we know that the fundamental problem with uh, facing most musicians is security of work. I mean, there's no work at the moment. Uh, and there are fundamental sort of structural problems in the way the industry is set up, which means even before we entered this crisis, um, most musicians were finding it dif difficult to make a livelihood. And there were certainly people who are in our membership, uh, MEAA, who are, well, most of them are very uh, accomplished musicians, and there's some of them. Um, earn a good living out of it, uh, a lot of them through the orchestras, etc. But uh, by and large, of course, uh, as I'm sure you and your listeners know, musicians have to work multiple jobs. They often don't get paid or they're enticed into doing gigs at low pay. They're enticed into perhaps thinking about trying to uh, play for fees which really don't sustain them. Um, so in, with that backdrop, um, the COVID crisis really, uh, really ramped things up to a, a situation where, and I don't need to repeat this because I'm sure you know it, but um, I will, we, you know, the fact that there are no gigs, no work, no money, um, no alternative work in many cases, because the, all industries have been affected, uh, means that our members are in very, in a very, uh, tough situation the package um it's at yeah, well it's welcome i mean we can't um we can't say that there isn't uh it isn't good that the government has has recognized the need finally to invest um and having said that uh we don't want to appear churlish um but it does there are some there are some questions that need to be asked about how how effective this could be, um, and uh, uh, you know. Um, so I mean, I'm happy to discuss those details, but that's sort of the background. And um, I mean, in, but one particular thing that's missing, of course, is um, further uh, income support uh, for musicians through JobKeeper, really. I mean, I think the real essence of the failure of government here, if I can say that, having said I don't want to be churlish, I'm talking about the failure of government. <laughs> One of the real issues is that if you consider that the um, essential requirement for job seeker payment is the um, 
satisfying the activity test uh, to be looking for work, and there is no work in this sector, then what you're putting at risk by not providing uh, more secure income support for those people is the future of the industry. Because why wouldn't somebody who is um, now on job seeker, who is told they have to look for work outside the industry, well, that, that's what they're going to do by necessity. And we're going to lose our talent, or let me put it a better way, the skill mm. and the capacity that sustains this industry by design. I mean, that's something that is known. So government should know that that is what is at risk here. So the package does not go to that fundamental risk, which both affects individuals, but I think more importantly, perhaps, or just as importantly, affects the whole basis of the industry. Mm. Good answer. Baz, over to you. Well, look, yeah, I'd, I'd just kind of add, yeah, I, I, they're great points. And the thing that's really missing is the gigging musician, the, the person who can't pr yeah. prove that they have a contract or, you know, they play, you know, I was saying to Nikki earlier, I mean, I've just lost every bit of my work from now yeah. until the rest of the year and, and yeah. uh, for actually from January. So, so it's really, and there's no way to prove anything. I was a gigging musician. I didn't have any contract. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of those in, in my boat, you know, and I, I guess what, what started um, my questions to, to Nikki and, and I guess discussion with her, which, which might be, might be relevant is, is that, uh, I guess that voice, that voice to the powers that be. Um, and shall I bring that up, Nikki? Can I can I talk yep. about that now? Yeah, yeah. look, I I used to be a member of the Musicians Union, and I was from when I was a young kid in Adelaide, and I played in bands. And the Musicians Union had a scale rate, and we got paid the scale rate. And if people didn't mm. pay us, they would follow them up, and all of that sort of stuff. And you know, when we went and played on Countdown, if you weren't a member of, of, of the union, you weren't allowed to play on Countdown, you know? It yeah. was as simple as that. I remember. <laughs> hey, you remember that? I, I remember. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know, the whole, the whole people, the whole crew, would, the whole ABC would go out on strike if, if, if somebody turned up and wasn't a member. Now, that, that kind of, the, 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 my membership in the union waned in the, I guess the eighties when, when the, 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 the actual industry changed as well. And, and then I just wondered whether, did the musicians union get um, amalgamated with, with your mob? No, that, well, good, um, good points. And um, I mean, I've, I've, I lived through that period myself as a musician um, and I was a member of the union and we, I, I certainly know the, uh, that, that situation. What happened um, is, as you say, I mean, we're going back a few decades, but there was a requirement through the formal... Only three, Paul. <laughs> Only three decades. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends how... Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, doesn't it, seem that long ago, does... it doesn't seem that long ago, does it? No. Uh, uh, but when you look at some of the developments over that period and, and really the consequences of those, um, as you say, we're now in a, a, a point where most gigging musicians uh, have no effective uh, clout. There's no voice and there's no reliability of fees. That's why we set up Musicians Australia in 2018. Um, but to get to your point, um, your question, 
there was a, an arrangement in uh, a legal requirement really in the 90s that said that unions needed to try and form amalgamations of economies of scale and that's where the MEAA came from um, you know looking after working with journalists and actors performers of all sorts and musicians and crew so you know that's a kind of logical structure to what we do um, and yes we did there were attempts for at that part at that time and I think and after that time for the musicians union to be brought into this alliance uh, they failed and because it's a kind of voluntary process I mean, you can't force people to uh, work together and that so that didn't happen uh, having said that um, the rules of the MEAA I'm getting a bit technical now but I'll try and get through this okay, it's, okay. Probably, it's probably important to know the rules of the MEAA were um, have been certainly clarified we always knew that they were broad enough to allow us to represent musicians at large and that's certainly been clarified in recent years um, and but more practically many musicians did uh, make the decision to join MEAA regardless of um, the you know the activities of the musicians union so we've had a very strong basis and continue to have a very strong membership particularly with symphony orchestra and musical theatre musicians um, who do, you know, who are just, ex you know, extraordinary musicians who do mm. very, um, you know, highly accompanied, you know, world-class musicians tour mm. the world and um, play, you know, I don't know what you're like. Uh, I'm a humble guitar player. and yeah. I see those people up there on stage doing what they do in those orchestras. It's just, it's, you know, it's humbling really. Yeah. It's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. I'm I'm a very simple self-taught drummer, and a self-taught guitar player and keyboard player, and and, yeah. and uh, everything I've learnt about producing is has been from experience. Uh, I'm constantly blown out with the amount of talent that there is, and the and the expertise and technical skill that you have to have to be that kind of musician. One of my one of my dear friends is William Barton, who, who's a right. stage yeah. player. You know, he yeah, plays, yeah, yeah. He's always He's always somewhere, he used to be, always somewhere he'd ring me from Geneva and say, I'm just going to breakfast. I'm, I'm with the, you know, the symphony, symphony orchestra here. I'm in Boston, you know. Um, yes. but, so the, these people are, are, are exceptional. I guess um, I'd love to ask a question about, did you get involved in the discussion, MEAA, in the discussions with the government about the response to the entertainment question? Did you get... Uh, the the package? No, no, not so much. We, um, yeah. there's, I mean, I think it was... You know, we we have to work with all all decision makers from whatever political background, and we certainly made approaches to uh, the federal minister to uh, advocate as we would as is our responsibility on behalf of all creative the creative workforce. But uh, we didn't get a we didn't get a seat at that table. We're making right. further, um, but that I mean that's. It was a very intense period, right? Um, yes. From February, March on, when when the kind of isolation happened. So we know that uh, hasty, or that's better to put it, quick decisions needed to be made. Um, but we hope and we trust that our input to these, uh, particularly the implementation of this new package, will be recognised because um, it'll be a bit. Um, 
I think, disruptive, really, if some of these decisions are, are implemented without um, due consultation with the workers who make the whole industry mm-hmm. function. So yeah. we've uh, written, we're about to, we are writing to the minister to uh, say that we should be on the creative uh, uh, industry, what is it called? Creative yeah, Industries the, the, Task Force. Yeah, yeah, the Task Force, yeah. 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 Um, but can I just, I just want to say on the issue of the Musicians Union, they still exist. We respect their role, but we've, MEAA has a very active membership among musicians now, and it's growing really at a very pleasing rate, should I, can I say? Um, and our, and that voice, I think, is now um, uh, getting louder on behalf of musicians. So we've got a good base among symphony orchestra musicians, as I mentioned, mm. but through Musicians Australia, which is the kind of brand we've used to um, represent musicians more broadly, right. freelance gigging musicians, those yes. who, you know, really are small businesses in, in most cases, yes. um, that's really taking off. And um, I think, and just to get to the point about what are we looking for out of this package, our major claim at the moment, our primary claim is that any money that comes from government to put on a gig has to come with a guaranteed fee for musicians. Yes. At the moment, as you know, there's no floor. No. Uh, it's, not, it's morally unsustainable for that money to flow through to the industry and not to have a guaranteed amount going to the performers who will be putting on the show. Uh, That's not in the current arrangements. We think it needs to be written into it. And we're certainly making um, approaches to all all music businesses to ensure that they sign up to that that claim. Yeah. Paul, I've got a question about data. Just, it seems like there's about 40 peak bodies in the music industry, (laughs) right? From what I can count. And then underneath that, there's probably 30 to 40 little unofficial groups where people get together. Yeah. To me, there doesn't seem to be a central point of data collection so that, you know, I mean, my agency, we turned 30 on the 17th of July. So I can tell you the grosses, the number of artists, the number of tickets sold and all of that, but no one's ever collected that from me. So I doubt that any, anyone from Q Music or any of the, the peak bodies understand my one little company's data. So right. imagine, and I feel like we're in this situation because there's no central point, you know, to know you can just push a button on a computer and go, well, look, this is actually how much we've actually lost. I mean, we scrambled to put, I lost my gig online. Um, yeah. But on March the 13th, I personally cancelled over $6 million worth of shows out of our system. That's just wow. one little country, a little company, wow. right? So imagine if there was a central pool of data that gave the government true indication of the losses, um, the, uh, how there's a contribution to the economy in terms of, the, I guess, the flow-on effect from gigs and what musicians are spending the economy. So I guess my question for you is, where do you get your data from? And like, what can we as a whole of industry do to actually create a better data pool so that we can actually get the decision makers to understand the real music industry because they're not going to understand what we do if they don't have access to the correct data, are they? No, that's right. Well, of course, that's a, a trademark or one of the the, uh, the things you always hear from government. They have to have evidence-based policy. Um, yeah. And uh, the data, of course, is the 
is a key component of that evidence. Um, I think from our point of view, we've, we rely on our members and uh, we've got a good reach now through social media and through our membership in terms of, uh, that allows us to, to gather data. But as you say, um, that's only one part of it. Yeah. We've, I think we did put in a, a claim uh, submission last year or the year before to one of the inquiries that said um, uh, it would be good to have a census of the of the music industry or music workforce yes um you know yeah. regularized and of course that's a big deal to just to get that up and running or take a bit of investment it probably wouldn't be hugely difficult to do uh, once you set it up um and I think we got a good hearing with that idea, but um, failing failing that, I think uh, simple collaboration. I mean, I know the work you did was great. Uh, you know that was incredibly visible what you did at the beginning of this of this crisis. Um, so maybe maybe people are ready to you know, take hope from from that and uh, make it make a more sustained contribution to sharing sharing data um, there are some constraints we have because we're a membership organization oh. but um, and you know there are privacy concerns but but that doesn't stop us sharing um, sharing information and of course it's important to do so where we can make gains mm. All right, so I guess the next question, well, Buzz, I'll let you go first. Oh, yeah, I, just, I just had a very quick thing to add to that it was the fact that in the census, you pointed out to me, Nikki, that, that a lot of people are asked, what is your job? And, you know, they might say, well, I work in a shop or I'm a, I'm a you know, the, whatever their job is. Oh, I'm also a musician. <laughs> they don't say they're a musician. They're, 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 you know, short order cook or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so there's a lot of people that are just just flick through, you know, fall through the cracks all the time. So you don't really know how many people there are out there that that could be affected. And and I mean, I, I just I just look at the numbers, and I'm I'm a bit of a statistician and, and a former mechanical engineer. So I kind of right. look at stats and, and figures and stuff, and and look at you know, you go if you just knew how many people had lost their gig straight away, then you could have like in they did in New Zealand. A friend of mine in New Zealand got given two grand straight away by the government. They just went, here's two grand. You're a musician, you haven't got any work. And, and it would have been so easy because there was, there was such a big gap in, in, the, in the job uh, keeper seeker thing. Was it $30 billion, $60 billion or something? You know, it would have been so easy to do. Anyway, sorry, Nikki, I didn't want to jump in. No, that was actually a good point because Paul, I'm not sure if you're aware, um, the Queensland Conservatorium Research Centre released a report last week called Making Music Work. I don't know if you heard about that report. I think I have seen it, yeah. So, There's so much that comes from my email, but I haven't I kept imagine. up with everything. But, yes. <laughs> but it was like three to four years research, and they discovered, as Buzz said, that when artists were doing the, the, um, the census, that there was no ability for them to note down that they did a gig, it was the gig economy, they had part-time work, plus they were musicians. And I think that we need to really strip back our very basic, I guess, government connections with us, like census, to be able to trap specific data that actually really talks about what's really going on. So that, you know, if you can have a look at that report, it's fascinating to mm. understand the plight. But I guess my question for you, Paul, is, so we've got the MEAA. If a musician is like they write original song, they do releases, 
they might tour a couple of times a year, but they fund their, I guess, their original project based on doing covers. Would there be benefits for them to join the MEAA? Well, of course, uh, I would, I mean, what we say is that um, we, there's no other way of uh, fundamentally of restoring a floor of fees and basic conditions in this sector without initially having enough people demanding it. Now, it sounds kind of glib to put it that way, but in fact, uh, it's only glib because it's true. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, we, there, there, there's no regulatory system we can call on to come in and save us in this sector if you're yeah. a musician, um, which is why our basic claim is demand to be paid, demand fees for your gig, and don't undercut. Now, we've added to that um, a demand a safe workplace, you know, safe gigs as well, but they go together, and uh, all that adds up to. Um, uh, our plan to establish an industry code of conduct for live performance. So whether you play covers or original music, whether you're a, a freelancer, a side person, session player, or indeed a musical theatre player who has a, a more regular sort of employment arrangement, there's a ne there's, it's necessary for us to speak with one voice about these fundamentals. We can talk about other changes later, but at the moment, it's so there's no flaw to this sector. So it's a, it's, it is the race to the bottom that, you know, that figurative race to the bottom where a quarter of gigs aren't being played, paid at all. Yeah. Isn't and when you look at the, uh, we looked at, of course, everyone knows how bad streaming and recording has become. Um, and we can't rely on that sector anymore. So any headway has to be done first through live performance. Sorry, Buzz. No, no, no. Look, I, I was I was going to to just jump in about that live performance. Live performance Australia have been pretty, you know, pretty full on in, in these discussions and stuff. And a lot of that money that's talked about, you know, the people, let's have a new festival. And it's like the festivals are, are sort of owned by international uh, international corporations. You know, the, they, they have yeah. money involved in that. And, and and also the bigger, bigger productions, they have, it's, it's, it's just such a, a it's annoying to think that it, that it's 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 you know they people like us get missed out you know it's just annoying <laughs> right yeah uh, look we, we've had a, we've had a good reception um, from LPA and others uh, but we but we're we're the kind of new kid on the block in a way uh, we there hasn't been an effective music union you know with all due respect for a yeah. while um, yeah. And we only launched in 2018, um, but through MEAA, we've got traditional industry links there. Um, we do have constructive relationships with LBA, with APRA, AMCOS, with, with the music associations in each state. Um, but, we, um, but they're developing, right? right? It's something we need to work on. So to all of the artists out there that have been offered $30 an hour plus a $100 meal voucher and a $100 drink voucher, now this is what's being offered to cover artists in Queensland right now. Right. What do you say to those artists? Well, I'd say work out what your true costs are and work out what it means to actually earn a living from your, from your craft, from your art form. 
and don't undersell yourself. But come, but through Musicians Australia, we've also developed a gig map, which when people get back to playing gigs, will become a much more powerful tool for us to assess the market. Um, it's a live market survey. We are not foolish enough, I think, or not um, naive enough, maybe better word, better word to use, to think that we can come in and just set an arbitrary minimum fee for performance. We know it's tough for, for many producers and venues. We know there are different business models. Um, and because things have been so unorganised for such a long time, we can't just come in and impose some minimum fee and expect it to, to save, uh, to, to fix the industry overnight. So our plan is to assess the market, who pays what, where, and under what terms. And, and through the aggregation of that data, we'll be able to develop uh, a much clearer notion of or idea about what's going on, where to focus our attention, what business models are sustainable for musicians, which ones aren't. Um, so join with Musicians Australia, I have to say that, um, yeah, because, yeah, because it's through our collective um, activities that we'll be able to really assess what will sustain the live performance uh, industry, particularly for musicians, um, for musicians as well as for businesses, right? We need to get that balance right. Um, but uh, at the moment, I think the balance is certainly not right. Uh, I would say to those musicians who are getting paid something that isn't fair, um, do your homework, don't undercut one, each other, uh, talk to us. So it's a good call to action, isn't it, Buzz? What's, what's your thought? It is my, well, my thought is that um, there will be a lot of people who are in the position of having so I say being part-time musicians who would gratefully accept $30 an hour because it's more than you get at McDonald's and a free meal voucher because they probably can't afford to buy food. So, you know, there is going to be a, 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 an element who are going to take that. That's and I agree sure. with Paul, you should, you should definitely know your value and stand your ground, but it's very hard to stand your ground when you've got nothing and $30 an hour and you're going to play for four hours, 120 bucks, you know, and you're not getting any job keeper, job seeker, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that will do it. And then the pubs will just kind of take it anyway, because I mean, that used to happen. I'm, I don't know what area you were in, Paul, like were you in contemporary music as such? As the yeah, music? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was contemporary music. Yeah. 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 Cool. So, so there's always that case. I mean, when I joined the angels, I got to tell you in 1976, I joined the angels as a drummer and, and uh, you know, I was making five bucks a day. That's it. Five bucks a day. And when I, when I finally later on in 1980, when I finally got to tour America with the angels or called angel city, unfortunately, um, yeah. I was making 20 bucks a day. That was yeah. five years later. And, and really it's just, yeah. it's just really, the only thing that sustained us was the fact that when you sold a record, you would yeah. make 5% of 90% of the recommended retail price came down to about 20 cents, which got divided up amongst the band. But if you sold 80, 800,000 records, then you actually made a little bit of money, but it's, yeah, that, that's my point that there'll be so many people that will take that money. 
Yeah, I mean, we're not, uh, we don't think it's something that we can solve overnight. No. But we do think that there are, there are some niches there that we can build out from. There are music businesses, you know, pubs or other venues that pride themselves on providing a, a stage, a platform for good music that will pay a fee that's, that's worthy of the musicians. Well, let's work out from that. And um, once people start realising that you can, you need to make a choice, if you're going to pay a fee, then you'll need to make sure that what you're paying for is something that's worth seeing, worth hearing, yeah. then we'll lift the floor a little bit. I mean, no one, no one wants to, uh, we don't want to uh, speak ill of ho hobbyists or those who come in. I mean, everyone's welcome to, and everyone needs to experience and be able to uh, do their own music. Uh, but we, on the other hand, we want to be able to establish fair standards for those musicians who invest their time, passion, energy um, in, in this sector and who all too often are, uh, are discouraged, who leave and uh, uh, that's a waste and it's a, a, uh, it's, not, it's a waste for them, it's a waste for our culture at large and it's something that can be avoided. We need to build a vibrant industry that can sustain all of us, and I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's impossible. I think it's I think it's within our reach to do it. Um, people want to do it, and we've got a plan that I think will make headway. What a great conversation! I mean, it's so great for artists to actually listen to you talk today, Paul, and also Buds for you to share your history because we're at this point in history where this crisis could be an opportunity maybe make some changes in this industry. And I think that, you know, what you're saying today, actually what you're both saying, it's a bit of a call to action. If we actually want to make some changes, no one's coming to save us. We've got to do it ourselves. And Absolutely. maybe the first step is to join someone like the MEAA and then start thinking about putting processes in place to get that central data collection point. So we've actually, we have a value. And what you're both saying is, what is the value of your music? What is the value of your show offer? That's mm. probably the first place to start. So, Indeed. yeah, great conversation. And so I'll leave it there, guys. Buzz, thank you for joining us today. And, Paul, yeah. what a pleasure to meet you and hear yeah. all about all right. what you're doing. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's great to continue the conversation. We will continue Indeed. this conversation. Thanks, everyone. Peace thank out. Thank you. Okay. Yeah.